Hello, readers. Anthony Cumia is a legendary voice in radio. He's been in the business now for more than 20 years, starting with the renowned Opie and Anthony show. Currently, he hosts the uncensored Anthony Cumia show via compoundmedia.com. His book is called Permanently Suspended, The Rise and Fall and Rise Again of Radio's Most Notorious Shock Jock. Anthony, thank you for the time. How you doing? Great. Awesome. I don't know how many of these interviews you've done and out of those interviews, how many people actually read the book. I read the book as somebody who works in radio and has a ton of respect for what you've been able to accomplish in your career. And also, I just love somebody who has uh, lived a crazy life, and you have certainly lived that, but you're only 57 years old. So the Anthony Cumia story is far from over with, it seems like. So why is now the right time to uh, write this book? Well, it was uh, kind of the end of, of one chapter, uh, broadcast radio, um, mainstream media radio, doing uh, radio with a partner kind of a thing. So uh, now doing compound media um, on my own. I have a partner, uh, Dave Landau, who's, who's really great on the show. But I, I think it was kind of time to let everyone know uh, how that happened, how I got uh, the gig in radio and uh, and how it uh, kind of came to an end uh, at that point with um, traditional radio and even satellite radio, and uh, starting up this new thing. Uh, I think it was it was absolutely time to um, and get the Opie thing out there uh, because a lot of people were wondering. You know, they they had no clue. They thought everything was was fine and dandy. So many years being with a radio partner, um, twenty years. So. Uh, I think uh, getting getting my side of the story out there uh, for the fans and for people that just have an interest in radio was kind of uh, it was I, I felt it was absolutely time to uh, kind of get that out there and, and start anew with uh, compound media and uh, being completely uncensored. Now, uh, a good chunk of this book, of course, is about your radio career, and that's understandable. But you also take it back to your childhood, uh, growing up as a kid in the Northeast. And uh, you were actually elementary school classmates with Boomer Esiason for a short amount of time. What was old Norman like as a classmate in elementary school? <laughs> Norman, he was, uh, he was the, the school bully. Uh, I've talked to him since, uh, we did a charity event and, uh, since he's in radio, uh, we ended up at some of the same, um, events and, uh, talked about it. And now he's just an amazing guy. He's very charitable, nice guy. But, uh, I gotta be honest back then he was the guy everyone in school was afraid of. <laughs> he was big, a lot bigger than all the classmates. Uh, he was the, the pet of the, uh, gym teacher, uh, very athletic, uh, even back then. And he loved to uh, bully people around, uh, you know, smack someone in the back of the head while they were eating in the cafeteria or uh, trip them going down the hall. You know, the typical kind of old school, almost nostalgic uh, and innocent bullying um, <laughs> back, back in those days. But uh, nonetheless, yeah, he was the one you steered clear of and, and didn't really give him too much uh, flack because uh, he, he wouldn't hesitate with uh, – hauling off and smacking you in the head. <laughs> now, perhaps Boomer experienced an epiphany at some point, and uh, epiphanies are a funny thing. Some people seemingly never have one. Others do, but it comes much later in life. You'd actually gone through three such experiences by the time you were in your early teenage years. 
Is there a crossroads moment that you value more than the others from your first few years of adolescence? Uh, mm, I, I guess uh, living out in California uh, with my dad, uh, that was a real crossroad moment. I could have stayed there uh, because I, I'll tell you, it was fun. It was a lot of fun. Uh, my dad was just a wild guy. It was all about horse horses, guns, dune buggies, drinking, <laughs> uh, and and it was it was a lot of fun. But at some moment, I kind of realized uh, that this will be my future if I don't uh, get back to New York and try to uh, uh, continue with an education in some way or. Uh, get back to, to uh, close with my family uh, back back in New York. So that was a big moment for me. I had to kind of give up uh, the just crazy lifestyle and having a lot of fun uh, very early in my life, too. That was in my teens. Uh, and realize, like, I, I could be one of these guys just sitting there drinking a tall boy of, of beer and uh, doing nothing with the rest of my life. So uh, that was a big moment for me. And you eventually did move, uh, make the move back to New York, and uh, you did a number of different things through your late teens and early 20s. And I was actually surprised to read that you didn't even get into radio until your early 30s. What was your big break to get into the business? Yeah, that was, uh, it was something I always wanted to do growing up, uh, and um, in my teen, late teens, early twenties, and listening to Howard, and uh, in New York, that was what you did. You worked a, a trade job, uh, which for me it was heating and air conditioning installation, and you listened to uh, to Stern in the morning. And and it was um, it was something I really wanted to do, but had no idea how to get into it. I had been in bands. Uh, me and my brother went played in in bands. Uh, forever it seemed uh just as as some hope that we could get out of this kind of work that we we never really liked and uh my brother sent uh songs and song parodies that we would do to various radio stations and uh opie got one he was out on long island uh new york doing uh uh seven to midnight and he loved it and the people that he uh, his fans loved it and uh they he invited us to, to go in and perform it live on his show. It was an O.J. Simpson parody <laughs> uh, during, that, during that whole debacle. So, uh, yeah, we went in, performed it live, and I just wouldn't stop talking and doing impressions, and I was just trying my best to, uh, to impress. And uh, Opie had me come in a week later and then two times a week, and uh, it slowly became a thing where I was kind of a bit player on his show. And... Uh, he took those recordings and sent them out to radio stations to uh, try to get us a job, and he did up at WAAF in uh, Boston. And uh, that was another crossroad moment right there. I was, I was asked, "Hey, we got an offer. Uh, do you want to do radio full time?" And uh, it didn't take much for me to drop my tools and say yes. <laughs> so uh, that's really how it started—a miracle, one of those amazing dream come true stories. And the living situation in Boston is a, a funny not, a side note to this great book, Anthony. And uh, actually in 1998, speaking of Boston, you guys got into a lot of trouble for running with an April Fool's prank. 
that the mayor had died in a car crash after your bosses <laughs> came up with a bunch of aloof corporate-minded ideas on how to apologize none of which you guys none of which you guys were on board with which is understandable they did eventually fire you did that change your perception of where that hypothetical line was that you shouldn't br- cross as broadcasters uh y- yeah for about 10 minutes it, it, it was one of those one of those situations we had been in for numerous times after that in our careers uh i was petrified because i thought i was back in the attics doing air conditioning and heating work again uh, after we got fired from uh, up in, in boston um but we had uh, that got us hooked up with our agent because we didn't have an agent before that and uh bob eatman the late bob eatman he was uh great for us and got us another uh, gig pretty quickly. And uh, it did, it did make us think where that line was, but seeing how successful getting fired was, (laughs) uh, how great a career move it was for us. We thought maybe that could work for our advantage. If we continue being unbelievably outrageous and push that line and always try to top ourselves the next time out. And, uh, and it did for, for a while. Um, we, we were in trouble a lot. We were getting suspended. We were getting reprimanded, called into the big boss's office uh, constantly. And um, it just made us more popular. Uh, and they didn't mind it. When the ratings came in and, and uh, we were doing very well, they patted us on the back constantly. But uh, in public, they'd have to be like, oh, that's terrible. Don't do those things. Uh, and right up until they fire you, they love what you're doing. <laughs> but that's where that line is. You just don't know. It's a very gray area. So they could throw you out uh, for something you've been doing for years. Anthony, is it possible for a shock jock to exist on terrestrial radio in 2018? Man, if uh, if someone could pull that off, they'd uh, they'd be the greatest ever. It's so difficult now because of a few things. Uh, first of all, companies just don't want to take the chance anymore, broadcast companies. Mom and pop uh, broadcast companies of yesteryear, uh, they loved it. They were behind the personality. They knew what uh, the, the on-air personality was doing and gave them that latitude. Once the uh, radio companies started being bought by other bigger conglomerates, uh, and if the guy on the air said something and it affected diaper sales, for their um, subsidiary, uh, <laughs> that was a problem. You know, it's not, no longer just broadcasting. Um, it's affecting mouthwash sales and, and things like that. So uh, litigation also, the lawyers got in on it and said, we can't do that. It opens us up to liability. Um, and I think just the public, social media, the Internet, made it impossible to shock someone on the radio anymore. You could pick up your phone and actually see real-life things that are horrifying and literally shocking. And you get a a jock on the air talking about, you know, um, sexual uh, content or or something, an outrageous off-color joke or something. It's nothing these days. And again, it it comes out as nostalgic and almost uh, quaint uh, when you think of what shock jocks and how shocking it was uh back then but nowadays with the uh the internet and social media it's barely it barely budges the needle so 
I think it's uh, it's a bygone era. It's something that um, had its time and place on radio, but uh, I don't know. I don't know if we'll ever see anything like that again. You're absolutely right, Anthony. And uh, for me personally, I've dealt with it on three different occasions this year. I work for a sports radio station, but three different times this year, my bosses have gotten upset with me. And one other factor that maybe isn't considered enough by by folks who try and do the job and try and, and walk that line is a single individual writing or emailing to the right person using the right buzzwords can create all sorts of problems. It's to a point where it's not even things that are, are that are coming close to actually being offensive or actually causing the FCC to consider whether or not to fine you. It's a single person who has has a bone to pick and is looking for somebody who will actually listen to them complain. God, absolutely. I have seen that happen time and time again. And it is... Uh, Years ago, the FCC was the, the big enemy. That was who you had to skirt around and, and, and maneuver and, and talk in a certain way so as not to get an FCC complaint. Now, the FCC is nothing. No one even talks about the FCC anymore. It's those uh, a very, very, very small minority. And in your case like that, sometimes one person that, that uh, can, can turn uh, somebody's life and career into a living hell. Uh, we're all a bunch of little rats that are just addicted to outrage and, and trying so hard to get someone else in, in trouble. Uh, it really is pathetic, and it's, um, it's one of these things that uh, we never knew really existed until um, social media and the, the Internet and the accessibility that everybody has to uh, people's bosses and uh, other people that can, can get them in trouble. Very well put. What do you miss, if anything, about terrestrial radio? Uh, well, that, that the accessibility to a huge audience is absolutely a, a big thing. If you're a broadcaster, you want to be heard by the most people uh, you can. It's part of the part of the um, you know the allure of the whole thing, and um, the trade-off that you get when you're doing an internet-based show and have uh, that absolute freedom to do what you want is that you're just not going to reach as many people as um, regular, you know, FM radio in a, in a car. Uh, so that that's missed a bit. Um, and, and the old way of people being outraged is missed. Uh, just a phone call. Uh, it was so funny when, when somebody that couldn't stand you would be listening to their radio and, and hear you and be compelled to call and tell you how awful you are. <laughs> those, those calls were some of my favorites. You just get into this uh, discussion, argument, debate with somebody who couldn't stand you. And I, I enjoyed those. It's a lot different than now, like we were just talking about, with somebody complaining to someone else or, or uh, just anonymously getting on uh, social media and, and lambasting you and making accusations uh, of, of whatever sexism or racism or what have you. But back then it was just somebody calling and saying, you suck. And, and just getting into that argument with them was uh, kind of fun. So, th so that's missed uh, also. Uh, but that freedom now to, to just 100% absolutely be able to talk about any issue in plain English and not have to, filter everything that comes out of your head is um, it's it's a great trade-off 
Eventually, you and Opie did get more freedom. You went from terrestrial radio to satellite radio. And in 2006, XM Radio decided to heavily promote you guys' show, which included getting to appear on Letterman. How freaking cool was that? It's uh, one of the, the highlights of uh, my entire life. That that was just amazing for me. Uh, it's something I had watched other people do my entire life on television, uh, as early back as watching people on Johnny Carson, and then, of course, watching Letterman uh, late night and, and just wondering and fantasizing about that moment when you're standing backstage and and they they let you walk out on that stage and sit in that chair. Uh, you can't describe it. It's I've tried over the years to really describe what that's like, but uh, until you're doing it, uh, it's amazing. You're, you're petrified, you're excited, uh, and you sit in that chair, and it goes by in a flash, looking out at the audience, looking at Letterman, the cameras, and just trying to, to talk to him while in your head is just, oh, my God, I cannot believe I'm here, uh, is an amazing thing. It, it, it'll always be uh, a huge highlight in my, my career. That's one of your career and life highlights. If you could have one do-over in life, what would it be? Oh wow, that's uh, that's a good one. You'd think uh, you'd think maybe it would be some of those, <laughs> maybe hitting the dump button on the uh, St. Pat's Cathedral bit. <laughs> maybe yeah. that one would have yeah. would have been a good one. But I've uh, I've always said with the type of radio we were doing, I, I think um, we'd have been fired five more times after that for mm. something else. But um, uh, wow, that that's a tough one though—a do-over. Uh, I don't know. It, it. I guess since I'm here and doing what I'm doing and and I'm loving it, uh, I, I I'd be hard pressed to try to think of something that might steer me into another direction along this kind of uh, timeline I'm on. So I really don't have any that I would I would have a do-over on. Good to know. What is your favorite quality about Opie? Oh, wow. Uh, he's, very, he's very organized. Uh, I'll give him that. It was, um, uh, he, he was more of the logistics guy. Uh, I, I would sit in front of a mic and just be able to have a great time four hours every day. And, um, uh, regardless of anything else that was going on uh, peripherally, especially with management and other things in our career, uh, for those four hours, I just didn't let anything bother me. I, I could get on there. Or if it did bother me and it was worthy of bringing up on the air, I would do it that way. Uh, but uh, Opie was more the, the take care of business things. And I think that was detrimental to to him and his enjoyment of of how great things were. And uh, the relationship between the two of us, uh, because he would he would just latch on to something and let it bother him uh, even during the show. But the good part and uh, the, the compliment that I have for him is that he was able to uh, keep the show going. Like there were shows where it was just me and Jimmy and Opie was out. And you could tell, you know, he definitely was an asset as far as keeping things reined in um, and keeping things moving in a um, a regimented radio kind of fashion uh, instead of just this topsy-turvy um, me and Jimmy riffing on something for an hour <laughs> uh, thing. So he, he was the, the radio mind behind the whole thing. 
One of the things I always enjoyed about you guys' show back in the day and that I still enjoy about your current version of what you do online is your interactions with comedians. And you uh, worked a lot with one of my all-time favorites, Patrice O'Neill. For you personally, where do you rank Patrice O'Neill amongst the all-time great comedians? Oh, my God. I, because I, I got to know him and uh, actually work with him uh, on the show, uh, it's hard to be unbiased. But <laughs> I put him right up there with, with Pryor and Carlin and, and the greats. I mean, the greats. Uh, unfortunately, the world didn't get to see that um, part of him yet. But he was well on his way. Uh, Elephant in the Room, his last uh, special, was an amazing piece of stand-up. Mm-hmm. I mean, I've never seen stand-up where uh, there are cliffhangers and you're surprised at the punchline. Like, you, he, he leads the audience one way and then just, pulls in the the opposite direction in such a funny way. It's like watching a a horror movie or a mystery movie that that a twist comes out at the end, but it's hilariously funny. He had the the ability to do that uh and and drag an audience along with him uh during during his stand up and I have never seen that uh quality in in a stand up comic and I've seen some amazingly funny comics. He was a one-of-a-kind, an original. Uh, people try to say all the time, it's like, oh, Anthony Patrice would be so upset with you. Or, oh, Anthony Patrice would say. And I'm like, dude, don't even try to, <laughs> to profess to know what Patrice would say. I would sit there. I knew the guy. And he could make a left turn in a conversation that left me dumbfounded because <laughs> uh, he was that that brilliant his mind was just uh, amazing so yeah I'd, I'd put him right up there with any of the, the greatest comedians uh, of all time now you're a funny dude you're obviously comfortable speaking into a microphone as well have you ever tried stand-up or is that something that uh, has never really interested you <laughs> I, I i've been asked that by a few people and some stand-ups and club owners and things like that and uh, the the concept horrifies me <laughs> <laughs> it it really does it's uh I look at stand-ups. I have such a respect for them. Um, I, I've done a few things at comedy clubs where I've been on the stage to maybe announce something or bring up a comic, uh, and I've gotten some laughs up there and thought, wow, that is cool. I do like this. But the stories of bombing that comics have, uh, I, I could I could listen to them, and they laugh at their bomb stories. They trade bomb stories where it's like, oh, my God, remember that gig? I was watching you. The audience was there was nothing and and uh, it was terrible. But they laugh at it. I my idea is if I'm up there and and I start bombing, I would I would run off the stage. <laughs> like that, something like that horrifies me. Uh, and and it takes a certain courage that uh, I don't know where they get it from. Uh, that mic stand is way too thin to hide behind. <laughs> so um, it's not my cup of tea. <laughs> No doubt. And uh, last thing, Anthony, for anybody interested to check out what you're currently doing, would you mind telling folks a little bit about the Anthony Cumia show? Yeah, it's uh, 4 to 6 p.m. Monday through uh, Thursday Eastern Time. Uh, It's on compoundmedia.com. We have uh, 10 shows on there now that are all irreverent and very funny, um, informative, and most importantly, completely uncensored. Uh, you hear about 
things like satellite radio. Yes, it's an uncensored medium. No, it's not. They have plenty of people to answer to, and uh, they put a lot of restrictions on their uh, air talent. Uh, what we're doing is 100%. This is our right to be able to talk. If you don't like it, uh, don't listen or um, confront us with, with debate, with uh, a reasonable argument as to why you find us offensive or terrible or, or what have you. Uh, that's the important part of this thing that I think is lost in American society now and especially on social media. You don't silence people, regardless of how repugnant you find what they're saying, silencing someone is the worst thing you can do. Engage them in debate, uh, make them look silly, make their point look terrible, uh, or learn something from them, whatever, but don't silence them. Everyone has an absolute innate right to say what they believe and what their opinions are, regardless of how horrible some people might find them. So what we do is open that up and allow people to speak their mind and engage them in debate and, and make jokes. And, and it's uh, my show in particular is a comedy show. And we, uh, in the context of comedy, touch on subjects that people would find deplorable, just terrible. But again, it's in the context of comedy. We've lost that too um, on social media. The, the written word, it's very hard to see sarcasm or parody. Um, but people are quick to, copy and paste it and send it in written form off to somebody and say that you're, you know, some type of ist or phobe. And, um, you know, we are trying to combat that and show that there is a context for anything, um, especially under the uh, umbrella of comedy. Yeah, society has to get out of the bad habit of forming hardened opinions about things based off of in some cases, 280 characters on Twitter. In other cases, it's simply <laughs> reading a headline and thinking they know what's going on based on 8 to 10 words. Yeah, the laziness is astounding when it comes to people um, uh, thinking they're, they're informing themselves. The headline is, is a huge thing. They'll just read that and then spread it around like, oh, I, well, I heard. It's like, ah, oh, you read a headline. Read the rest of the story. Research it. Go to another source. Uh, but no, people are lazy. Social media is, um, I don't know, I think uh, in, in, in history, we will look back at social media as one of the worst things to happen to society. He is Anthony Cumia, legendary voice and radio, formerly of Opie and Anthony. Currently, he hosts the uncensored Anthony Cumia show via compoundmedia.com. And definitely check out the new book. I had a chance to read it. It is very entertaining. Permanently suspended, Thanks. the rise and fall and rise again of radio's most notorious shock jock. Anthony, thank you so much for the time today. It's been a real pleasure getting to speak with you. Thank you. Uh, very appreciative uh, for you reading the book. Uh, thanks a lot for the, the good words, man.